Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the word giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Church this morning, how's everyone doing today? Doing good. Thank you for, some of you are, some of you really weren't sure how you're doing yet. Um, We do have coffee before service that can fix that. And you'll be feeling much better when you come to church. Well, if you're a first-time guest with you, uh, with us today, I'm Kevin. I'm the lead pastor. Good to have you here. Please make sure, if you don't mind, turn your connection card at our, tea, uh, at our basket by the TV over there. We'd love to stay in touch with you. And you've probably reached us in the third part of our Philippians series. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians 2, verse 1. We're going to get to work today. We're going to cover 11 verses today. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I'm actually turned there, too. We have these really cool bands in, the Thrive church bands. So um, if you want to grab some of these at our table over at Welcome Center, these are not only for you, but to give out to your friends. Or let's say that you're out and about and you, you talk to someone, they say, I'm looking for a church. You say, hey, I tell you what, just take this band and visit our website. It's a really great way to, to share it with people. Um, you can also wear it proudly um, also as well. Philippians 2.1. Andrew Murray said, The humble man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praised while he is forgotten because he has received the spirit of Jesus who pleased not himself, who sought not his own honor. Therefore, in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he has put on the heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and humility. And here's what um, Dr. Hahn said about humility. M.D. Hahn said, Humility is something we should constantly pray for, yet never thank God that we have. Look at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read from the message. And so um, the rest of it will be in the New King James. But I want you to look at the I'm going to read from the message, the first four verses, just so you can kind of catch a different taste of what I'm going to talk about later. Verse 1 says, If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, that's like anybody, right? Then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that you would help me as I, as I share your word to, um, Lord, not let myself leak too much into the text. I pray, Father, that your word is spirit and life, and God, it can bring life. Um, it's a two-edged sword, Lord, that cuts asunder soul and spirit. So we ask today to just separate what's of you and what's of us and help us to hear you today, God. We thank you so much again for your scriptures you have given to us and left for us by way of the Holy Spirit. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, we've been in the, in the book of Philippians now for, uh, this is our third week, and we're going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. Now, some of you like that. Others of you are like, I wish he would just give me one scripture and we could go home, right? As I've realized, a lot of times we don't like verse by verse teaching because we don't read the Bible verse by verse. 
We get a scripture here and scripture there. The best way to study the Bible is verse by verse, unbroken, so you can understand the context. And the context that we're in in Philippians is in Acts 16. So you got to listen to uh, that message in week one if you missed that week. And what happened there was that Philippians was the first church in Europe. Paul visited there on a second missionary journey. And when he gets there, there's no Christians in there in Philippi at that time. None. So imagine going to a place where no Christians exist. You go in there and you have this task of establishing a church. Somebody say hard. Amen. He, he goes in and he meets Lydia. We talked about her the first week. The high roller fashion designer. Seller of purple. Had a house in Thyatira. House in Philippi. House in LA. House in New York. Right? Uh, she was a prayer leader. And she's a high class woman. He meets her. And she gives her heart to Jesus and says, well, just use my house. I mean, this open. Man, you guys come on in. Well, secondly, they're walking and they get this slave girl delivered from a demonic spirit. And now she joins the group. So you have high class Lydia, Thyatira, Philippi, two houses, high roller, cosmopolitan vogue. And then you have the slave girl, who we don't even know her name, who's been abused her whole life. That's a part of this church. When Paul delivers the slave girl, he gets thrown in jail. Right? He does something good and gets thrown in jail. That's the way it works when you, when you serve God sometimes. He's thrown in jail, but look what God does. We see in that moment that the jailer gives his life to Christ. He's a middle class government employee just punching the clock, man. I'm just the jailer. And so the, the church at Philippi are these three unique groups of people that merge together in this metropolitan city called Philippi. And so Paul, as we read in the first week, loves this church. He is mushy about this church, right? I mean, he really has an affection for them. I mean, I, I feel that way about you guys too. I just want you to know that. I pray for you, love you, care for you. Um, and so last week, he's really concerned because opposition's coming. People are getting their heads chopped off. They're being crucified and killed for following Jesus. And Paul's in prison. So he tells the group at Philippi, the church at Philippi, Lydia, jailer, slave girl, that group, he says, I don't want you to fall away from Jesus because of outside opposition. It's going to come. And I've told you if you follow Jesus, you're going to face outside opposition from those who don't follow Christ. It's going to happen. Okay? If it hasn't happened yet, it's going to. But in Philippians 2, uh, when we get here, you see Paul shift. He's worried about outside opposition hurting the church. Now he says, I'm worried about the internal opposition of you knuckleheads together. I'm not worried about the one who doesn't follow Christ, but the ones who do follow Christ that are the community of believers. As you read Philippians 2, don't read it like a Hallmark card. Please. It's not a Facebook post. It's not a blog. It's a letter. A first century letter written from Paul to a church at Philippi. Real people with real problems. Just like our church here. And so when we read this, you've got to read it within context of that as well. And what Paul is saying to them, the first four verses we just read, and we'll go through all 11 shortly, is that I want the culture of you guys in the church to be a sweet smelling savor. I want you guys to get along. If I'm not so worried that you're going to fall away because somebody's going to call you a name. Because he, he said that some of them were being strengthened because he was in jail. Remember that last week? If you didn't, that's a, pl a plug for our podcast. You can listen to that. But now he's worried that internally they're going to destroy each other. And he's got wind of some things going on at the church at Philippi. Now I know in this church that never happens. We are like, you know, we're not perfect but probably close to it, right? But the, at that church down the street, this stuff happens. And I, I know you guys would never, you know, 
do any of this, but those people that you know, your neighbors and your co-workers, I know they do. So we can apply that to them there. And you know I'm being very sarcastic. Dr. Sam Chan said this about culture. He said, what's more important than vision, mission, or strategy within the local church? Great vision, a great strategy. Business owners, same thing. But if your internal operation is not good, guess what? It's going to destroy the mission, vision, and strategy. Um, I experienced this uh, first and foremost when I was planning uh, my third church. I went in and I really believed, as all young naive leaders do, and now I just shake my head as I train leaders and say, yeah, that's awesome. But if you have the right vision, the right mission, right strategy, and you're a good enough leader, you can just do anything. But what I failed to realize was it's the culture of the folks you're working with that matters as much as where you're going. Okay, I'm going to give you an example, and some of you may not like this example, but it's the best one that, I mean, I, I really went through this all week. Um, my wife and I, don't, we don't have kids yet, okay? Don't, you know, we have two, two dogs we love, no cats, of course, because you know how I feel about cats. There's, I'm, I'm, I'm not warm to cats. We have two dogs we love. They're our babies, but we have friends who have children. And as I'm riding with our friends who have children, such as Pastor Keith and Lauren, um, they will be like, Riding with a kid in there, they'll be like, oh man, we're so sorry. It's like, what's up? You guys are dropping fines. like, no, our daughter, you'll know in a second. As far as I'm going to go with that. And so like, the trip is not as fun anymore, right? I mean, let's just be real. The trip is not fun anymore. I mean, I'm like, pull over, let's get out. Uh, you know, I didn't, I, I, I can drive behind you. Uh, where we're going now is not really as good because of what's happening in the car. Same thing that happens in a church. I can say we're going to reach our community. We're going to do this for Jesus. We're going to do that for Jesus. But if what's happening on the bus has culture that's hurting everybody else, where we're going doesn't matter. And I watched this. I, we planted our, 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 my, my third church, my first lead pastor church in Florida. And my wife and I were so excited, just living by faith, doing this thing. And we launched big. Things went well. And I watched in two months after we launched... People professing believers destroy each other. And there's nothing that I could do about it. I'd been at churches where, man, there's been bad decisions and bad leadership. So, so I was like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be a good leader. I'll be the right leader. I've seen what's been done wrong. I couldn't stop it. I mean, people were literally devouring each other, as Paul says in Galatians. And I would meet with them and be like, and I would plead and be like, please get along. Philippians 2. And they're like, nah, I ain't going to do it. I don't like them. I've seen it. And I watched, I'll never forget, it was so heartbreaking for me because I, I loved those people so much and wanted them all just to get along and have a great, and I just figured, hey man, it's going to be great. We're going to be on a journey with Jesus, you know, and begin to bite, bite and devour each other. And I, we were at the beach one day, beautiful day at the beach. Um, we lived at the beach. The water was probably, you know, as tall as this, as this table here. And we were just, the water was clear to the bottom. Are you getting the picture here? Anybody going on vacation next week? Okay, just... You're getting, you're getting a picture here. And, and I'm just floating in the water, and, and, and I'm just zoned out. My wife's like, what's up, babe? She's like, I feel like I'm watching a bad train wreck, and I just can't stop it. Because both those people will come to me and say, man, we love you. But well, I don't like them. I ain't coming back. And we had about 15 families that happened to. I've never seen anything like it in my life. 
And the Lord taught me so much about culture. And when I moved here, I, I met with a young pastor who has a great church in Colonial Heights called Destination. Good friends. And we were talking. And at that time, we had 20 folks. That's all we had. And it was, we we're just trying to get things off the ground. I said, what's been the biggest difference for your church? He said, get the right people on the bus. The right people on the bus. And that's what we've done there. And so here at Thrive, I can tell you, it has been the best ministry experience of my life. And I'm not trying to snowball you so you'll like, you know, become part of this church. I've enjoyed it. Um, you guys, to the greatest extent, have been mature and overlooked offense and, and, and worked together and been Philippians too. So I'm not preaching this today to try to fix anything in the church. You know, like, like preachers who preach shotgun sermons, you, you know what's going on in the church because they're preaching it that week. We just happen to be at Philippians too. I'm serious. Third week, so I'm just sharing. Um, I think for us here, though, let me just say this, all joking aside. This is a good reminder for us all. As a community of believers, you know, we're not in a first century church. We're not in Philippi, but we are in a metropolitan area called Richmond, okay? We have a very diverse church just like Philippi. And within the community of believers, we have to apply this. And I believe if we do that, we can see God do anything in this church here. So go ahead and look at Philippians 2.1. I'm going to read it to you now in the, in the King James. I just wanted to give you the message, just so the message version, so you can kind of get the feel there. But we're going to look at the first 11 verses. I'm going to give a little bit of commentary, and then we'll, um, we'll go home. How's that sound? Don't say amen. See, that's where you messed up at. That's, uh, if you say amen, you know that I'm, I'm like, you, you should won't be like, no, no, no. We don't never want to leave. We want to stay here all day. Preach more. <laughs> Verse 1. Uh, it says, therefore. When you see therefore in the Bible, guess what? It's therefore reason. Therefore. Paul is connecting what we talked about last week. He's connecting the, the, two, the two pieces here. He says, therefore, if... And if he's being sarcastic to him, he's, he's, watch this here, four ifs. If there's any consolation in Christ, that means if you have gotten anything out of following Christ, as the message said. If any comfort of love, if his love has made a difference. If any fellowship of the Spirit, meaning in a community of believers. If any affection and mercy, I mean, nobody in Philippi is like, nope, that's not us. We're like, yeah, that's us. Yeah, consolation, that's us. So he's setting them up. Now watch this. He sets them up and says, fulfill my joy. So if this stuff is really exists and fulfill my joy, well, how do we do that, Paul? Let us in. Here's what he says. By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. That is probably the most difficult thing to do in the body of believers. And that's for everybody here, including myself. Verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. This stuff will just preach itself here. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Verse 5. And this is not meaning like the homeless guy on the side of the road first. It means in here first. Remember he's talking to Philippi about their group first. Then it extends to outside of the group. Verse 5, and watch this here. He gives you the example of how this can be done in our model. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our model. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery or a highly prized possession to be equal with God. 
Um, I talked with a guy this week that said, tell me where it says Jesus is, is the same as God. I gave him this verse and then, you know, he didn't respond. It's right there. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. This is the gospel right here. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9. Therefore, so because of that, this is what happens. God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. As I looked at this, I had to jot down what does humility, which he's talking about here, look like in the community of believers? Not just humility in general. If I taught humility in general, I'd be doing you a disservice. If you left here saying, I just need to be more humble. Well, that's good. And I really hope we all do that, right? But he's speaking to the Philippians here. And I don't know what was happening there. I don't know what was happening between, between Lydia and the slave girl. I don't know what their problem was. Or, or, the, or the jailer. But there was issues going on that Paul was speaking to directly and connects these two passages here. So in your notes, in your talk notes that you should have received as you walked in, you're going to jot down three points here. And what humility looks like in the community of believers, which is me. Say, that's me. Okay. First one is this. In verse 3, others matter most. Others matter most. Not more. Others matter most. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And verse 4 is the kicker. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, it's really hard for us in America to get this. If you're from a different culture or from overseas, it may be easier. Um, especially Hispanic culture likes to share everything. They really do, and it's beautiful. How it's like, what mine is not mine, it's yours too, and let's just share, and it's just all good. American culture, I bought this, I paid for it, and I will use it. And if you break it, you will pay it back. Right? And so it's hard as Americans, independent Americans, to understand this thing about others' interest really mattering. Our generation feeds off competition, jealousy, and rivalry, right? Think about our top TV shows. And, and, and don't be like looking at your Bible and talking about TVs. I know you watch TV. <laughs> and I know you watch more than just Sky Angel, okay? If that's even still around. I don't, I don't have it. But top chef and top model. Think about it. And I'm not downing these shows. I mean, my wife and I watch these together. But think about it. They're all working in this kitchen together. They're even on teams trying to accomplish a task. And they're, they're, they're working, getting this stuff done. And then, I like this part, they flash to the room with the person by themselves. And it's like, I don't even like them. I know I encourage them, but I want them to lose. I think they're a jerk. And then they flash back and they're all working in together. And then you see what happens behind the scenes. Rivalry, competition, jealousy, selfish ambition, conceit. We see this and so it, it feeds in sometimes to us as Christ followers. The voice, American Idol. They may be crying and hugging somebody like when the other person wins. But they are crying partially because they lost. And you know that, right? 
competition, jealousy, and rivalry. And God forbid, listen, we will have prayer counselors after this worship experience. And if you watch this next show, you can be delivered. I believe deliverance is in the house of the Lord today. The next show is Jersey Shore. If you watch that, we can pray for you and you can be totally delivered. But, but think about that stupidity. Envy, hatred, strife, jealousy. And our, our teenagers are being raised by Jersey Shore rather than a godly home sometimes. And we wonder why they're acting crazy. Because we see this, and in the body of believers, these things should not exist. And it's sad, and I put this the other day on Twitter, is that it's sad when our churches internally look more like Top Chef, Top Model, The Voice, and American, uh, I mean, and, and Jersey Shore, rather than a Christ-cultured church. It's sad that when we, like, our worship, and thank God it's not in our worship team, and I, I, I protect this. Thank God it's not like, who can sing the best solo? You've been in churches like that before? Well, I don't get to sing solos. And they get, I don't like them when they sing. I don't like when they sing. I like when she sings better. Friends, this ain't American Idol. I will have that person cut you a CD and listen to it all week. All right? But that happens in the body of believers. And we're, we're competing against each other so many times for, to, to get the, you know, look at me and what I'm doing. And my ministry is the best and we need the most. And Paul is urging the Philippians to make others matter most. If you ever have a hard time with relationships and issues in a church, how many times do you say I about the church? Well, what I really want and what I really need and what I'm really trying, I mean, and listen, you should have preferences in a church. Don't get me wrong. Don't go to a church you don't like. I think that's what made our church healthy because most people who come here like it. You know when churches get bad, when people don't like the church they go to? That's bad on a pastor. It's not fun, right? Because you get the calls every week. It's like, if you don't like it, I'm so sorry. But how many times are you like, I want, I need, it's about me, and this is what's all about me. It it breeds that competition, rivalry, jealousy. Others matter most. And we start caring more about each other than we do ourselves. That's when something amazing happens right in here. And I believe that's what's happening at Thrive. I believe we've seen it grow 800%, and we've seen over 100 people saved. Uh, After July 13th, Almost 30 we baptized. I believe all that's because that we're seeing people who live like that. They're looking to the interest of others and not their own interest. You know, uh, it's, it's one of those things that there's, there's no I in team. There is an I in win, right? That's the American viewpoint. And it's not fun losing. So um, when you talk about team, teams are cool, but winning's first. And that's how we view it. I'm a sports fan. And I have to be careful because I love to win. I do not go play basketball on Fridays knowing that I'm going to get beat. And I will not play a sport with you very long if I keep getting beat. We're going to find a sport that I, I, can, I can at least challenge you at just for a few minutes because of the, the, the competition, the, the selfish ambition and all those things. Here's one of the things that, that I do. Um, and, and weekly, so you know something that, that I do when I look to the interest of others. Now, selfishly, I believe Thrive Church is the greatest church on the planet. And that's why I'm here. If I did not find somewhere else to go. All right? I believe Thrive is great. But not everybody believes that way. Okay? We're still praying that, that, that they'll get saved. And when they do, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. But I will get emails from people and say, you know, you know, we're looking for a church that does this, 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 and this. And, and, you know, if we can't meet that, you know what I do? I actually send 
them a list of churches that they can go visit that I know that will meet the needs that they're looking for. Now see, if, I, if it wasn't about, if it was about me, you know what I'd do? I'd just delete their email or say, well, God bless you, praying for you. But I'll, I'll ask them, do you want me to, to, to send you a list of churches? And here's the ones that I can recommend. And, and usually they'll say, please do that. And that's looking out for the interest of others in the community of believers. Because Thrive may not be everybody's home. And that is okay. But I'm telling you something. That's the hardest thing for most pastors to do. And most of them um, that I know that I'm working with. And I, I have to say, hey man, here's, here's how you help these folks. Here's how you put Philippians 2 in action. And I have to do the same thing. Here's point number two in your notes. Write this down in your talk notes. Look at verse five. Number two, what does humility look like in the community of believers? Reputations don't exist. Reputations don't exist. Look at verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Reputation is what everybody else thinks about me. And we get derailed in the community of believers when we make it more about us than we do others with reputation. And here's what happens. It's the search to gain a reputation that wants us to get credit for what we do. Jesus even said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. I mean, that's how serious he was about, about reputation and people noticing everything that, that, that you do because there's a certain um, a feeling of accomplishment that comes from that. And Harry Truman said this, who knows what could be accomplished if we did not care who got the credit? Amen? I remember the, <laughs> probably the dumbest story of a church fight I've ever been in. My wife will remember this very closely. It was over Christmas carols. I mean, how do you fight over Christmas carols? I mean, they're joyful, triumphant. I mean, peace to the world. I mean, come on. Um, and this lady wanted to go to this really small home, um, nursing home, and sing Christmas carols. Outstanding. Stamp of approval from Kevin. I, I love it. So she recruits one of the worship. It wasn't here. But recruits one of the worship team guys and says, I'm, I want you to sing that. He says, I, I'll really try. I have four kids, work 80 hours a week. I'm going to try to, but I can't promise you I can do it. Okay. Well, the time gets close, and we're at, we're at the church Christmas party. And guys, please, get, just let's, let, let's make a church Christmas party happy, right? Happy time. Jesus has come, the Advent. Let's celebrate. She gets really angry because the guy had not practiced with her and storms out of the party, knocks stuff over it, going crazy. I mean, crazy. And I call her up and say, hey, what was that? She said, let me tell you something. My reputation is on the line. What they think about me is on the line. And he's ruined my reputation. I'm thinking, those 10 people at that nursing home, I'm, uh, honey, I, I promise you, <laughs> They're just glad if you show up and talk to them. They're not concerned about it. But when I heard that, my reputation's on the line. And it was one of the biggest schisms we had in our church over that. And what I realized was, was that reputation was getting in the way of doing the work of God. And you know what all worked out, man? Went to sing acapella. Those folks loved it. The mayor even showed up, found out. And it worked out perfect. When you look for your reputation to be taken care of, then God's not, not going to take care of you. But when you, look for your, when you take care of your character, then God will take care of you. 
And the easiest way to spell reputation, it's the easiest way, is T-O-X-I-C, toxic. I mean, the Apostle Paul said this here. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I am the least of the apostles. Out of the 12 apostles, he says, I'm least. This is what he thought of himself. Ephesians 3.8, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. That means all of us. And then watch this in 1 Timothy 1.15. And as he gets older, he says this. Younger? You ought to read Galatians, man. He's like the apostle with revelation and all this stuff. By the time he's nearing his death in 1 Timothy. I am the foremost of sinners. Paul, which I guarantee if I line my life up to Paul's life, who's got more, more stuff going on? <laughs> Kevin probably does. But Paul's on the foremost because his reputation didn't matter. And he wasn't there to build a reputation. And Jesus made himself of no reputation I'm going over with a guy right now who's tearing apart the Gospels, trying to figure out, is Jesus God? I'm like, man, it's not really that hard. Um, It's pretty simple. But one thing he can't understand is why in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and the synoptics that Jesus had the messianic secret. He didn't go around saying, I'm God, come follow me. He would tell his disciples and say, no, just just don't tell anybody. He would tell just don't tell anybody. Because he wanted people to come to the realization on their own and not be manipulated by other people. And so he didn't go around telling people. He made himself of no reputation in the form of a bondservant. The king of the universe, the creator, the second person of the trinity came not caring about reputation or what others thought of him. And here's your third and final point this morning. What does humility look like in the community of believers? And you'll find it in verse 8. Number three is this. The whole is more important than the one. The W-H-O-L-E. The whole is more important than the one. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The whole is more important than the one. Jesus did not seek to preserve his life. And live a comfort-free life. But he, the one, did it for the whole. All of us. He, the one, sacrificed what he wanted for the whole. To get what they needed. And that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. I know what you want and what you desire. I know you're independent and you're all this. But the whole matters more than the one. And that's what, what I have to realize in this church. I couldn't jeopardize this whole church for one thing. I can't, you can't jeopardize your whole family for one thing. If you have a kid going crazy and they want to go off and do drugs and do what they want to do and they're like, I don't care and they give expletives to you, then the best thing you can do is say, I've got to protect the rest of my family. We love you and we're here for you, but this is what I have to do. I know some of you may not understand that if you build with codependency, but the whole is more important than just the one. If it wasn't, Jesus would have died. God would have said, that's my boy, that's my son, and he ain't dying for all y'all knuckleheads. Who a lot of y'all ain't even going to set them anyway. But he sacrificed the one for the whole. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. I kind of have to live this like, like every day. And I'm, 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 I'm not trying to, I'm just letting you know where I'm at and what I have to do. I, I'd been in, in a church culture, and bear with me for a second in this, and follow me here. That was built upon elevating the pastor as the highest of all people ever, right? They had armor bearers come out with Bibles and water 
right? Follow him on stage. He'd come halfway through worship. He'd come with his entourage and you'd see him. I, I'm serious. You had to have titles. and My wife would have a title, Prophetess Diana, because we had to be elevated. And when you preached, you preached for a main purpose to get everybody to say amen to you. And if they didn't say amen, then you felt bad. And so we would say things like, well, ain't nobody filling me in here. Come on, church. Give me an amen. I'm not saying all God said. I'm just saying what, 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 what I realized about myself. And the Lord began to deal with me and say, stop picking scriptures you know they're going to say amen to. Stop picking sermons about Elijah on Mount Carmel all the time. Stop picking sermons about Joshua conquering promised lands. Maybe they need Philippians 2 more than they need that and and more than you need an amen from people. I'm just being real with you, okay? I'm I'm being very honest with you. And I got to the point that I realized that the whole was more important than the one. And that, that I needed to change some of the things in my thinking because it mattered that you guys got the unadulterated gospel and got the truth. And sometimes you may need to sit in silence more than say amen because God's really working on your heart. And so that's what God had to do in my heart. And I'm still working through that. The hardest thing for me to do, and, and every pastor I talk to, <laughs> I love this conversation. Mondays. Mondays, like, okay, I'll be done in about, about five or ten minutes. Let's say seven and a half minutes, six minutes. Just, you can bear with me that long. I preach from 30 to 40 minutes on average. Unless you guys don't pay attention, then I go longer. And if you're sleeping, it's like an hour and a half. So, uh, I have to keep repeating myself. But on Mondays, I sit down. Pastor Keith will tell you, I sit down. And it's time to do it again. And I actually do it on Monday. What do you do all week? Man, about 25 hours is preparation time for messages. Okay, this is not easy for me. But I sit down on Mondays, and the first reason is, is because I want to make sure that I'm fully prepared and ready for this day, for you guys. But number two, I have a team of people waiting on me. Those notes that you have there, somebody prints those out. All the PowerPoint you see up here, somebody getting ready for that. The team is more important than me. So if I wait till Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, and I'm trying to put together a message, and I'm sending stuff to the team, guess what? They're behind. And they may be with their family trying to hang out. I'm like, hey, you print those notes out? I'm just getting them to you. And so the whole of our team is more important than the one. I plan for our worship team. We know three months in advance what I'm preaching. Why do you do that? You need to follow the Lord. I am. He knows the future. It's really easy when he talks to you, man. He knows what's going to happen three months from now. He knows what you need. And so the team has to plan for you guys. And so the whole is more important than the one. And I talk to pastors so many times and my friends and we're, we're talking and going. And I, and I let them know that. And they get this blank stare over their eyes like, I ain't doing that. I ain't Mondays. Uh. It's hard. But the whole is more important than the one which is me. Now think about this. If we were all to take this mindset, what would happen in this body of believers? If you were a ministry team representative, what if you cared more about the totality of the whole church instead of just a ministry you oversee? And and, and the guys do that here. Let me say our, our ministry teams do that. I'm so proud of them. But think about it. Think about it. What if that 
happen. Jesus had the whole in mind when we went to the cross. He gave up his desires and preferences to see the whole impacted more than just the one. And so what I have to ask myself daily as I get up, what is best for this body of believers? The tasks that I do on that day, what is best for this body of believers? Because the whole is more important than the one. Look at verse 9 as we close here. Here's what happens when we begin to live by humility that Paul's talking about here. Verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore, remember therefore it's showing you result of purpose. God has also highly exalted him, being Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that those that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and in those of earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God of the Father. When you see churches begin to do this, and, and I believe it starts off this way. I believe that you see God using churches. I believe it all starts off like this. It's a Philippians 2 culture. But it, it gets lost along the way, doesn't it? And, and, and the pastor wants, wants, wants to make it about himself and, and those things. Uh, the worship team wants to make sure that they're, they're performing for people. Right? Every ministry is, is vying for, for budget and those things. And, and what happens, this beautiful thing that started, that God worked and God birthed, becomes this thing that is full of selfish ambition, conceit, and robbery. Guys, it happened to the church in, in Philippi. That's so what Paul was writing this. And I believe if we take these principles this morning and say, you know what? Humility brings unity. It's not about me. It's about the betterment of others within this place here. I will seek to understand, not to be understood. You will see God do great things and do great things in this church if we will hold on to this. Booker T. Washington, the great renowned black educator, was a great example of humility. It said, uh, you know, he took over the presidency of the Tuskegee Institute. He was walking home one day from the Institute in a very affluent place of the neighborhood where a lot of the white folks lived at. As he walked through, this lady, not knowing who he was, said, hey, son, can you come? You want to come make some extra money and chop some wood? And President Washington, Booker T. Washington said, sure. Rolls his sleeves up and he chops her wood for her and does all that. And her daughter noticed when he left, she said, Mom, do you know who you had chopping wood? Booker T. Washington. <laughs> President of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. She said, oh my Lord, I cannot believe I asked. I, I thought he was some, some, some guy who just needed money. And I was doing him a favor. So the next morning she goes to the Institute. And she, she sits down and says, Mr. Washington, I am so sorry. I did not know who you were. Please, I apologize for that. And you know what he said to her? This is beautiful. He said, ma'am, he said, I'd do it for any friend. I just thought of just doing something kind just for a neighbor. He says, and I'd do it again if you needed me to. The lady went back to all her little, little buddies. And they got together and raised thousands of dollars for the Tuskegee Institute of Alabama. Because he humbled himself, made himself of no reputation. He didn't look and say, you know who I am? I'm Booker T. Washington. I ain't going to chop your wood. He rolled his sleeves up, smiled, chopped it, and she came to him. He said, ma'am, I'd do it for a friend anytime. I believe that's the picture of what Philippians 2 is all about. Let others' interests be before our own. Amen? Let others matter most. Let's kill our reputations. 
Let's, let's, let's kill those things. And the whole is more important than the one. Bow your head and close your eyes in here this morning.